What's going on, Renaissance family? My name is Jordan. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. Uh, very grateful that you've tuned in with us to our online service. Before we get started in today's message, I want to pray for us. So Heavenly Father, you know our needs, you know our hurts, you know our desires. God, you know everything about us. So Lord, I pray that as I'm teaching a message today that you would reach everyone, myself included, exactly where we need to be reached. I ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so for the past number of months, we've been going through this book of the Bible called Exodus. It's the second book in the Bible, and it's all about uh, freedom, and it's freedom from oppression. And it, it takes place, it's a historical book. It's God's people who are the children of Israel. They're in Egypt. And the more I've been reading Exodus as we've been going uh, through this book, the more I've just been struck with this notion of something that we see actually all throughout Scripture it's something that, quite honestly, if you let me design my own sermon calendar based on things I'm interested in, I probably would never include this. Uh, it's about something you see in Exodus all over. It is something called spiritual opposition. There's this external force that God's people have to battle through and to go against. Not just in Exodus, but actually when you read the entire New Testament, if you were just a pick of a gospel, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, one of the accounts of Jesus's life, one thing that you would see over and over and over again is Jesus talking about the devil, the, the enemy, the adversary, the Satan. Now, one of the things I think is really important for us is something we talked about last week and how sometimes you and I are our own worst enemy, that the negative narratives that we have in our head, the things, the lies that we tell ourselves, are really damaging and destructive to our, our relationship with God. Now, that is very true, but there's also an external enemy, an adversary who stands in our way. And I think it would do us a lot of good to think about our spiritual journey, uh, not just with us and with God, but also recognizing this thing called, what does it mean to navigate uh, with, with an enemy? Now, Exodus gives us a really clear picture of what it means to be God's child and to have to face really big opposition, opposition that is bigger than us. Now, I was thinking about it this past week. Um, sometimes what is standing in between you and knowing God like for real, it's not just that something is confusing. Actually, when Jesus talks about it, he talks about the enemy being one that blinds the minds of people so they can't even understand what's going on. There's real opposition sometimes in us even knowing who God is. Other times, the, the thing that is standing in between us and real spiritual growth, real spiritual maturity is not just your inconsistencies, but it is a real spiritual force in opposition to you. Other times, what's standing in the way of what God has for us might just be an enemy. Now, stay with me for a little bit, because whenever we talk about the devil or an enemy, there tends to be two camps of people. One camp is hype right now. Y'all like, yo, it's about time that J.O. is finally talking about some real stuff. We're going to get into it today. Uh, and these are the people who are looking for the devil behind every single bush and every single crevice. And in some ways, they talk about the devil more than they talk about Jesus. I remember uh, a church I belonged to years ago. It was one of these type of churches where, I mean, you couldn't go 30 seconds without having a conversation about the enemy or the devil. I was talking about uh, having heartburn one time. And someone was like, man, the devil tried to always attack our body. And I was like, I, 
I actually think it was the bacon cheeseburger and french fries I ate at midnight. Like it's much more probable that that is what gave me a heartburn than the devil reaching into my body and doing that. So one group tends to have an irrational fear even of the devil and tends to highlight and look for the devil in every, in every single corner. The other group is really sophisticated. And this is where I tend to lean that we have a rational explanation for everything. Yes, this is good allegorically. This is good as a concept, but we don't live with a functional vigilance against a real enemy because we tend to think of our life as just us or with God. And we, we tend not to think about us having a real enemy. Now, there's a big problem with this. If you read the gospel accounts, you see just Jesus over and over again talking about the enemy, the devil, and that this is a real thing. So if we don't believe in it, there's a piece of us, whether or not we'd want to admit it, that, that's basically saying we are more spiritually enlightened than Jesus Christ himself, and I don't want to go down that path. So today, um, I want us to talk about what it looks like to not just face our negative inner critic like we talked about last week, but what it looks like for us to navigate and grow this year having real opposition. Now, what scripture calls us to is to neither be obsessed and terrified with the devil, nor to disregard him completely, but rather to be vigilant in our opposition of him. And here's why. Our enemy is defeated, but he's still active. In John 16 and 33, he, Jesus says this. He tells us that we should take heart because he has overcome the world. The enemy is defeated, but he is still active. Now, what's the best way I know how to say this? Uh, there's a story about a man named uh, Howard Miller. And Howard Miller was a soldier in the United States Army during World War II. And in 1945, on a, a day that brought great celebration, the German army uh, surrendered and World War II was over. Now, this is before Twitter and before social media and before cell phones. So the news that the, world, that the war was over was slow to spread through everywhere. Now, even though the enemy had been defeated, Howard Miller got up that day and he went outside and he was killed by an enemy's sniper rifle. The enemy was defeated, but he was still active. Now, our enemy does not kill us with sniper rifles. Our enemy harms us with, with schemes, with tricks, with deception, with discouragement, with making us feel abandoned and rejected by God. He works with, with lies. As a matter of fact, Jesus calls this enemy the father of lies. And yes, he is defeated, but he is still active. As a matter of fact, uh, we see this in 1 Peter 5 and 8, where the Apostle Peter, this is what he says to everyone uh, who has placed their faith in Christ. He says, I want you to be sober-minded, to be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him uh, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. Now, theologians call this context the already, but the not yet. Now, this is what they talk about in seminaries, and this is why I still have some student loans left from there. Uh, we live in the already, Christ has already come, Christ has already conquered, 
but also the not yet. We are not living free from opposition, and this is a tension that we are called to live in, and we're warned to not walk around either in irrational fear or obsession about an already defeated enemy, nor are we told to be flippant and disregard the enemy because he is actually active, but rather to be vigilant. There's a man named Paul who wrote a letter to the Christian church in Ephesus, and I want his words to guide us as we are thinking about our goals in 2021. Yes, you and I need to silence our inner critic, but we also need to be vigilant. And here's what Paul says to the church in Ephesus. In verse 11, he says, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens, or in some translations, in high places. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand, therefore, with truth like, belt around your, like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. Now, here's what Paul says in verse 11, that what you and I need to do to be vigilant, that we need to be able to withstand the schemes of the enemy. Now, this is a very intentional word that I want you, I want you to pay attention to. Uh, the way that the enemy de devours us now is not with a sniper rifle. Our enemy is not flesh and blood, but it's rather through schemes. A scheme is a planned and conscious method in order to deceive. It's elaborate. It's planned. And as we live in this already, but not yet, you and I need to be aware and vigilant against the enemy's schemes. Now, today, between Tidal and Spotify and Apple Music, I think most of us have forgotten how terrible it was to get music back in the day. You either had to hop in the car or hop in the bus and go to the record store and get a CD or back in the, back in the day to get a tape. Or then when I was in college, we had this whole phase of Napster and LimeWire where you would willingly infect your computer with like 17 viruses just to download one song. It was absolutely horrible, but we did it anyway. But in 2005 or 2006, uh, there was a, a new promising technology called Burn Lounge. And everybody was talking about Burn Lounge in New York. The DJs on Hot 97 were talking about it. Burn Lounge was supposed to be something where you can just go to a burn page and you could buy digital music right there. No need to give your computer a virus. No need to go to a store. It was almost too good to be true. Even better, not only could you buy music on someone's page, but you can start your own page and turn into your own music mogul. Now, this sounded really good, and a lot of people got involved in it, so much so that the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, stepped in to evaluate how this organization was running, and they found out that amidst all of the wonderful claims that Burn Lounge was making, they couldn't really deliver on anything. They weren't making money on music. They were making money on people buying into the organization. What they revealed was that this was an elaborate pyramid scheme. Now, schemes are elaborate. On their surface, they look like really, really good. I have friends and family members who put that money up to, to get a burn page 
And as they were turning into evangelists for Burn Lounge, um, they didn't suspect at all that this was a pyramid scheme. When Bernie Madoff tricked so many people, most of none of his victims felt or realized that this was, in fact, a scheme. In sports, whenever you see schemes happen, like, on, like in football, they are planned things in order to deceive the opposition to make them feel like it's a, a run when it's actually going to be a pass. They thrive on deception in order to lure you in until it's too late, until you've already committed and there's nothing you can do about it. One of the hopes that I have for us this year is that we are not ignorant of the devil's devices, that we are not consumed or devoured or dis unnecessarily discouraged, or we waste progress that we could have, or we waste a relationship with God that we can have because we fall prey to the victim, to the enemy's schemes. Now, the antidote to the enemy's schemes is truth, and not just truth written down, but truth that is correctly understood and applied to our lives. Uh, we see this actually in the life of Jesus, that the enemy tried to run a scheme on him. And in Matthew 4 and also in Luke 4, you see this account of the enemy coming to Jesus. And I want us to pay attention to Jesus's response. So Matthew 4 and 1, it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, surprise, surprise, he was hungry. Then the tempter approached him and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. He answered, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. What the enemy presented Jesus with was a half-truth. Jesus had done miracles, and Jesus would do more miracles. As a matter of fact, part of the way that Jesus proved who he was was by doing miracles. And the enemy tells Jesus, it comes to him, if you're the son of God, I want you to prove it by performing this miracle, turn these bricks into Hawaiian rolls. And I want us to see Jesus's response here. He says, man must not live on bread alone. And I want these words to sink into our hearts. You cannot live on bread alone, but on every single word that comes from the mouth of God. What our soul needs is God's word nourishing our hearts and our souls. This is not a nice addition to your life. This is the source of your life. Now, a couple of implications about what it means for uh, what Jesus is saying. Number one, he's saying that there is something more important to me than even bread, and that is fellowship with God. Secondly, what Jesus is saying here is that there is something even more important to our sustenance for us being sustained than physical uh, food, and that is uh, God's words declared over us in Scripture. And uh, physical bread is good. I'm, I, I love carbs. But our soul finds completeness and satisfaction and nourishment in God's words. Now, a lot of you already know where I'm going with this. My goal for us, for Renaissance Church in 2021, is that all of us, no matter where you are starting, that we would get more out of scripture reading this year than we did last year. For those of us who struggled with massive amounts of inconsistency, my hope is that you'll find the Bible to be something more approachable, more helpful, uh, and you would be more connected to our community in such a way that it will become more consistent in your life. And no matter where you are on your trajectory and your spiritual journey, my goal is that you and I would be people who can remain vigilant in truth 
by incorporating the Bible better in our lives this year than we did last year. Now, I'm not trying to turn everybody into a seminarian, but I do think that there are some really helpful things that all of us can do. We can incorporate them into our lives starting today that will make us uh, better readers of, of Scripture in 2021. Now, one of the best things about being a pastor is uh, all the friends I've met along the way. And uh, one of my boys, Mike Kelsey, in D.C. area, uh, he posted something on his Instagram a couple of uh, maybe last week or so. And it was so dope. I was like, bro, just send that to me because that's going to go into the message very soon. And it was some tips that you and I could incorporate into our lives right now that would help us to read scripture uh, more fully this year. And uh, the first thing he said that I wholly agree with is that uh, we need to remember what is the goal of our reading. Like, wh why should you read the Bible? Why should you read scripture? Why should you set aside time for this? The goal is always intimacy, not information. The goal is always intimacy, connection, not just mere information. There are seminaries full of people with a head full of knowledge, with no intimacy, with no real love for God. As a matter of fact, Jesus condemns people who have all of this knowledge about God, but don't actually have their hearts tethered to God. So our goal is intimacy, connection, closeness with God, not information. Now, this is really important because this, because of this, if we're not careful, scripture reading for us will be yet another task that we either do or don't do to check off the list, to feel better about ourselves or to not feel guilty instead of God himself being the reward. Now, there's a, a scripture in, in Luke where some of Jesus's followers go off and they do wonderful things and they come back really excited that even the demons um, submitted to them. And instead of Jesus giving them high fives and fist bumps, he actually gives them a, a little bit of a rebuke. And Jesus says this, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in the book of heaven. And at first I read that and I was like, all right, that doesn't really make too much sense. It kind of sounds like a phone book that is, you know, like, St. Peter is sitting up in heaven with the phone book and like checking the list. And it's like, all right, I mean, I guess that's good that I, one day I would be able to go to heaven. But it's not something that really feels close. But what actually Jesus is quoting is from Malachi about what it means for our names to be written in the book of life. For everybody who has placed their faith in Christ. And here's what Malachi says about it. Those who feared the Lord talked with each other and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. To have your name written in the book of life means that you and I are God's treasured possession. Now, there's a lot of things in my life that I have, and there's very few things that I treasure. The things that I treasure, I think about. The things that I treasure, I guard and protect. The things that I treasure, I plan everything else in my life around. The things that I treasure, man, I, I, the things that I truly treasure in life, I give my life for it. I think about my kids and, uh, you know, my kids, they don't, they don't even know how much I love them. They don't know that I would gladly give anything for them. I can't watch the movie John Q without being a blubbering mess, um, even though I've watched the movie like 19 times because I treasure them. 
I would give anything for them. I would hate for their relationship with me to ever be transactional. I would hate for them to look at me as someone who merely is giving them things and that our relationship itself is not deepening in our friendship and our, our, our love for uh, each other and our love as a, as a family. And here's what the goal of scripture is, is for you and I to become more and more aware of the love of God that is present in our lives. Now, here's one thing I've noticed in my own life, and this is a beautiful truth. God will not love you anymore for reading scripture. Like if you read the Bible for two hours today, God is not going to love you more. But you and I will love God more the more we routinely immerse ourselves in scripture. So number one, we need to remember the goal of scripture reading. Number two is a really practical one. You and I need to pick a plan. Like what are you going to do? Right. So let's just say you're, you're trying to get in shape this year. Uh, the best approach is to pick a plan. Like, are you going to do CrossFit? Are you going to run? Are you going to do Peloton? I don't, if you got that Peloton money, like, what are you going to do to get in shape? Like, you you should pick a, a plan. There should be some strategic approach that you take towards physical fitness if that is your goal. And if our goal is to be more immersed in Scripture this year, you and I should pick a plan. And for all of you. We have on our website, uh, it should be on our homepage, but we'll also be on renaissancenyc.com slash read, a series of plans, and they're tailored for where you are. If you're a beginner, there's a plan for you. If you've been rocking with Jesus for a little bit, there's a plan for you. And if you want to go super deep, there's also a, a plan for you as well. And those plans will be refreshing all the time. And uh, I want all of us to, to hit that website up. It's live right now. And to make plans for tomorrow to start those plans. Uh, the big thing that I always suggest is something that you actually see in scripture that all of us should never feel guilty to be exactly where we are. Now, there's a, a really fascinating scripture in Philippians 3. And the man who wrote it, Paul, who also wrote Ephesians, he goes into this beautiful description about what it means to pursue God. Paul says, I'm forgetting everything that is behind and I'm pressing forward toward the mark in Christ Jesus. And it's this beautiful description about what it means to pursue God. He says this in Philippians 3 and 16, just a few verses down. He says, in any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. It's not lazy. It's not sinful to live up to whatever level of maturity you have attained. Now, one of the things that I've seen derail people more than anything else is having unrealistic expectations over their lives. Now, this is true for your relationship with God, your relationship with your boss, your roommate, your spouse, your brother, whoever it is. We need to have realistic expectations if we are going to thrive at anything. We need to have expectations that are conscious, uh, communicated, realistic, and agreed upon. And specifically, when it comes to us reading scripture, we need to just have realistic expectations in our life. And if you don't, if you haven't really been that consistent last year, don't start on the most advanced plan on the planet. I don't think that every single person who's a Christian should try to read the Bible, the entire Bible in a year. I know that's blasphemous to some people, but there's nowhere in the Bible that says you need to read the whole thing. I think you should commit to being more vigilant and more committed to just reading scripture and however much that is, I want you to live up to the truth that you have already attained. For some of us, it looks one way. For others of us, it looks another way. Please make sure you go to our, that website to check out those, those plans.
Now, I don't want you to, to just plan, pick a plan. I also want you to get really practical and to pick a, a time. Here's a, a really big one. Pick a time of the day that you are going to read scripture. Here's what my boy Mike said that I, I really loved. Routine reinforces habits. And I, I know this to be true. Routine reinforces habits. For many of us, time is not something that you have a lot of, which means that for some people, it means waking up even earlier than you had been previously. So it means picking a time that you can consistently read scripture and you might hit it every day, you might not, but to have it in your schedule so that you and I could be people uh, who do it uh, better this year than we did last, uh, last year. And here's what I want us to do. Don't give God the worst time in your life, right? Like if you know you're miserable at, at night or you're always going out at night, don't pick 9 p.m. when you'd rather be watching the NBA and you read scripture out of guilt because that you picked that time. Pick a time that's realistic and something that you can give God consistently, but give God fully. Now, not just picking a time, but I also want us to pick a place. And at first I read this and I was like, I don't know how realistic this is for me in my New York City apartment. But again, routine reinforces habit. And if there's one place that you can go and have your Bible, I recommend a paper Bible, and we'll have some of this on our website as well, uh, a Bible and a journal, something to record our notes in. It really helps us to re reinforce the habits that we have. And here, here's what I want us to, to pay attention to right now. Now, I know a lot of us don't have the knowledge and the experience in reading scripture that we can put all of these things into our life to make it actually a full experience. And we have just the thing for you. We have a how to read the Bible class that we're offering twice this month. The first time we're offering it is on January uh, 19th at 7.30 p.m. It's Tuesday, January 19th. And the second time it will be Saturday, January 23rd at 10 a.m. And this class will give you the tools on to take away some of the mystery and the mystique about it, to give you a description of like, how do you actually read the Bible? It is going to be well worth your time. Uh, you can go to renaissancenyc.com slash connect to get all of the information on how you can register for that. Or you can click on the link in the Friday email that went out. And if you are struggling to understand what is the Bible about, how do I approach it? How do I work this into my life? This class will give you all of the very practical tools and it will make it something that is approachable and something that you can actually connect with God through. So remember the goal. The goal is always intimacy, not information. Pick a plan, pick a time, uh, pick a place. And this is, here's the last one. It's really important. Pick a team. You and I need other people to help refine us, to encourage us, to motivate us when we just don't have any motivation on our own, to challenge us when we've been lazy or inconsistent, that the best version of us happens when we are deeply embedded in community with other people to help push us towards the mark that God is calling us to. And uh, this past uh, semester in our DNA groups has been a really, really rich time for me personally. And on the last day of our last DNA group in December, I remember talking to my guys and just thinking like, wow, this has really been a rich spiritual time for us. And here's what DNA groups are. They are groups of about four to seven people that meet weekly and you meet with the same people every single week and every single week you come together around a brief teaching. And this year we're going to shorten them even more 
to put everybody on the same page and you go through not just the scripture, but how that scripture applies to you in your life. We spend time with each other, uh, walking alongside of each other with whether it's about scripture or just our lives in general. And it is a really, really rich time uh, that I think would be a, a very worthy investment for you right now. The groups run for about eight to 10 weeks and the signups are now. And here's what happens every single time. I get emails after the signups have ended. Yo, J-O, Pastor J, ah, yo, are the D I went on a website and I don't see it anymore. It's like, yes, because the time has elapsed. Uh, you have until January 17th to register for a DNA group. If you were already in one, please look for your email from Lester that came out to confirm that you want to be in it again. And if you were not in one, go to renaissancenyc.com slash DNA. And it will be a very worthy use of your time. If you want to grow, if we're going to remain vigilant, we're going to need other people to push us there. So I want to close us today with a prayer from Paul in this letter to the Ephesians. And here's what he says in Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. He says, I pray that out of the glorious riches of God, that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp just how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Amen.